0: I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs.
1: And I'm Liam McNicholas.
2: And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector.
1: The regular ACCS Trends in Community Children's Services Survey sheds a light on trends in the quality of early education, accessibility and affordability, educator and teacher conditions and entitlements, and the overall impact of policy initiatives, such as the NQF and the childcare subsidy. It's a wealth of data and analysis, so of course we love it here at the Early Education Show, on how the Australian system of early education works or doesn't work for children, educators, families, and the community. To discuss the latest survey report released in November, we're joined by Daniela Cavucas and Nikki Graham from CCC Association in Victoria. Um, Nikki, can you start by telling us a bit about the the research for familiar uh, for listeners, you know, who might be a bit unfamiliar with the the trends in community Children's services survey?
3: Yeah, okay. So the tick study has been running since 2012 and it was established then in the introduction of the NQS. Um, it's it's currently in its sixth wave, so we've done five waves of study. The report looks at these first five waves, um, looks at services quality ratings and what areas they're focused on in the quality improvement. It looks at services experiences, adjusting to the major policy changes that they've experienced, such as the introduction of the NQS, CCS, and the interconnection with the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And it looks at the conditions and entitlements of educators and teachers. It's it's quite comprehensive. It's probably the most in-depth study in the early childhood sector um, that we've had so far. So, yeah.
1: We were talking just before we started recording. It's it's a hefty document. It's about 111 pages filled with lots and lots of data, which is why it's very popular on this um, podcast. But, um, Daniela, I might come to you. I understand it's a joint. Project between, um, we've got a lot of acronyms here to talk about, but um, CCC, so Community Child Care in Victoria, um, and ACCS. So the Australian, uh, uh, I've got to try and remember what ACCS is now, because probably is, I'm, I'm, I'm too used to dealing with ACCS child wellbeing. But, um,
0: Australian Community Children's Services.
1: Thank you, Lisa. I can always rely on you to help me with acronyms. So um, how does that sort of joint collaboration work, Daniela?
4: Sure. So the survey is a Australian Community Children's Services project and community childcare is the project lead on that project. So for the last um, five waves, we've been involved in um, the survey and, and creating the working group alongside ACTS and, um, and and running that whole show for them. And then Prue Warrilow from Families at Work is, is one of the authors and Nikki this year has joined in that space. So yeah, so it is quite collaborative and we work with Sue Irvine at QUT over the last few years to make sure it has some ethical approval um, and some critical advice along the way.
1: Wonderful, and I think you know, for you know, just for me um, personally, I think we're going to go and sort of try and dig into the findings a bit here. For people who are unfamiliar with this this research and this um, you know this this pretty long running um, report, it is really fascinating to see a this sort of amount of data about what's happening in services, uh, but also that it's it sort of developed you know by and for the sector. I know we're all sort of uh, often at the mercy of the government or the education department to release reports if and when they kind of feel like it. I think we're still waiting for the educator workforce survey, aren't we? I'm desperately waiting to see that data. Um, So I think, you know, not to speak for Leanne and Lisa, I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit later, but I'd really recommend people getting it going and finding this report. Um, It is, and particularly for those who have an interest in, that sort of uh, that approach in terms of not for profit early education. There's a lot of really interesting data over there about what we know about the the quality outcomes and uh, a range of other things. But we're going to sort of dig into that um, finding. Uh, so I think um, Leanne, you might kick us off with the first question, if that's okay.
2: I will do. But I will say, even though it's 111 pages, it's got a lovely little summary at the front. So I don't think anybody should be um, scared of, you know, I'm sure everybody wants to read every one of those 111 pages, but time is a bit of an issue at this time. So there there is a lovely um, summary up front there that has some key information and we're we're going to be working our way through those findings. But just to start with you, Daniela, what does this report tell us about uh, not-for-profit services and quality of uh, early childhood education and care? So, with this report,
4: we first looked at um, – it's been divided into um, four different areas and then two spotlight spaces so that we could really hone in on what is happening in the not-for-profit sector. And the outcomes from that report are showing that the the quality of services in the not-for-profit space are more likely to achieve the exceeding or excellent ratings, and that's a really um, nice factor. But then it also talks um, to – the reasons behind why that's happening in services. So whether it's because of, um, you know, the different environments that services are creating, and um, and and how so how they're employing their workforce and some of the practices that they're putting into place to support um, those high quality practices.
2: Yeah, and and this, I mean, this is backed by data that's released by sequel as well, isn't it? It can be kind of correlated with that because we have got data now that tells us about quality ratings and um, and where not-for-profit services sit or where all of the different governance models fit. What was the point about the quality that was maybe most surprising to you or most interesting to you? Um, I might throw that one to
4: Nikki because she's done a lot of the analysis of that data, if that's okay. Of course. Yeah.
3: So the most surprising thing that I found was that um, having an educational leader that was highly qualified, but also that was given enough time off the floor was correlated with high quality. So achieving, exceeding or excellent. Um, But I also found that the high quality services usually were the ones that had a higher rate of their revenue um, spent on um, the costs of their um, educators and teachers, Um, which I suppose is not really surprising, but This is probably the first time that we've had evidence to show that. That's great.
0: great evidence. (laughs) We love that. I'm trying to prove to a local government right now that the fact that they pay their staff more and that they have a a higher proportion, they're up to 80% of their income goes on staffing, is in fact, um, you know, uh, like a a thing that will contribute to their quality. So I can use this report immediately this week.
3: It's, it's just incredible that the majority of the services that we've, that we're, in, were involved in this study, um, 87% of them were spending over 70% of their revenue on staffing costs. That compares so starkly with the average for large for-profit providers, which range from 55 to 65%. Um,
0: Wow.
3: Yeah, it's it's quite a shock. <laughs> um, the the
0: thing that I'm finding is difficult with this particular council is that they've looked at some of the larger not-for-profit providers and discovered that they're down around the 60%. So they're saying why can't we do that? So I wonder if there's a difference about standalone service not-for-profits rather than the larger not-for-profit organisations?
3: I think when a community-owned organisation is running a service usually what happens is that they've had an investment over a long time so it might be the LGA owns the land and the building so the cost of running their business isn't going into paying rent or developing a brand new building or paying for new resources so I suppose that that's part of the story, but it's also about where you prioritise your spending. Um, having a high-quality building doesn't need to be a building that's brand new. It doesn't need to be a building in a prime location. Families can access public transport in metropolitan areas and in regional areas, um, the land costs and the costs of of running a building isn't as high as metropolitan ones. So I suppose that's part of the story, is about the cost that you're using in your business. But we do see that, like, the higher that you spend your revenue on staffing costs, their professional development, their rate of pay, hiring high-quality educators, it definitely, definitely leads to higher quality ratings and great relationships with children because the higher quality Educators that you have, the more they're going to know about the developmental um, stories that that children need to to have to around their pedagogy.
2: Nikki, what I like about the things that you're talking about there is that there is a roadmap. Obviously, I mean, we do have we do have the standards. We've got all of these things that give us some roadmaps for quality but this is this is just like another layer to that which provides so in a sense you know you don't have to be a not-for-profit to take um, the take some guidance from this report this is a report that tells us how high quality services operate
3: exactly I think that there's a lot of things that we can learn from each other Looking at the Productivity Commission reports in early childhood education and, and learning about the, um, the economic factors that go into running a service really informed me. But I think that, that in the same way, for-profit can learn a lot from not-for-profit and how we support our educators and support our children through providing a focus on educator well-being and through focusing on the program that we have.
1: It's kind of amazing. The, the report has uh, lots of amazing things like that in there. Part of me goes, it's kind of frustrating. We still have to continually prove and evidence, you know, that really sort of basic statement you said there, Nikki, about, you know, the high quali- you know, uh, higher numbers of high qual- uh, highly qualified educators and teachers have better outcomes for children it's kind of mad we're still sort of sitting here at the end of 2020 and still having to have amazing reports like yours that prove that but um we might it might be good to um this is a lot of um different uh, parts of this report and we kind of I think we want to touch on as many of them as possible um, one of the most interesting things for me uh, in the findings was that um, you've been able to determine that not-for-profit services are more accessible for families and we're particularly thinking about you know children and families who may be experiencing or have experienced trauma or a disadvantage um, can you talk a bit about sort of what the what some of the, the interesting findings in that sort of area are yeah so
3: accessibility talks about um, number one, like the cost of of accessing um, children's services, but it 's also about um, being accessible in disadvantaged communities, so we found that the services um, the services that were not for profit were would, were spanned span not just metropolitan areas which are highly serviced by the for profit sector but went really into the, the most disadvantaged areas. Um, so we found that like not-for-profit services make up about 38% of services in the areas that are classified as CIFA quintile one, which is the most disadvantaged. CIFA is the socioeconomic index for areas and it's a measure that's created by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. We applied it to our, um, to our data to have a look at um, to have a look at where our services were lying. Um, we found some other correlations there that really backed up some of the evidence um, that is in other research, which is, is just supportive. So I suppose um, we know that the services in the most disadvantaged areas are more likely to find that they're, um, they're supporting children who experience vulnerabilities. Um, in the most disadvantaged areas, um, and in the most advantaged areas, there were still 25% of services who were supporting children that were experiencing vulnerability. So our services that are not-for-profit in all areas are supporting children and families from vulnerable experiences.
0: Yay. Yay. Of
3: course they are.
1: Yeah. And I think that is, you know, when we think about a lot of the discussions around, I think sometimes the sector can be pulled into that sort of not-for-profit versus for-profit debate. And, you know, despite the fact there's a wealth of data on, you know, quality and those kind of things, you know, one of the key clinching arguments for me around that is is that what we know, not just in early education, but in a range of sectors, is that, you know, the for-profit market, um, you know, can't you know, work in these kind of spaces where um, people can't afford to access or it's, you know, it's, it, it's just not profitable to work in that space. So it's, really, it's great to see that there's sort of clear data backing, backing this up.
3: It also showed that since the introduction of the NQS, there was a question at first when the NQS was beginning that the waiting lists would just boom out of control. The data that we've had a look at hasn't shown that. In fact, it's shown that the, the waiting lists, the rates, in, you know, before NQS was established are pretty much the same as what they are now. So it's, um, it just shows that having high-quality structures in our sector, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's going to be harder to get into services. In, in fact, it just has made no difference at all. God
0: cool one of the um one of the things that um that the report or that the research found is that not for profit services have a better workforce but apparently they need more government support what a shock daniela can you tell us a bit about that
4: yeah so it did um bring out some really exciting research that i suppose kind of like liam said before we we We've been talking about it for such a long time that it's probably not such a shock if you've come from a space where you are running a high quality service. But, um, you know, looking at the part where the paying conditions were um, were higher and, and better conditions than um, than the average. So 73% of these services, um, you know, had higher above the relevant awards. So, you know, that's pretty exciting and, and it's how we I suppose, over the years are trying to um, retain high-quality educators and teachers to work within these services. And then, of course, that then supports the quality of what's coming through. So it also, um, I think, professional development was really valued in in this report. So we can see that these services are, are really focused on professional development and upskilling their teams and also thinking about, um, you know, how much of their budget that they're going to be spending on just their staffing teams. So that being the the main areas. The thing that I found really exciting in the report um, when I was first looking at the data was that in, in many of these services, an ECT wasn't just one you know, there was always two, you know, always is probably the wrong word, there was there was two ECTs in these spaces and in, and in many of them there was three and I thought that was really exciting because this was, you know, done before the um, second ECT was supposed to come in in, February, in January this year so it was showing that these not-for-profit services have been working towards and, and having these great conditions um, from early on and I suppose that what we're seeing in Melbourne particularly at the moment is that these services aren't, freaking out about having three-year-old kindergarten from, you know, 2022 because they've got their teachers there ready to go and they've already been providing that high quality ECT in a, in a baby space as well. So they were some pretty important findings that I found out. But um, I think that what I, in terms of the workforce, we all know in this sector that we need to have a really strong workforce because there is a lot of burnout and there is lots of, um, there's so much going on that if we're not looking after our teams, that we're not going to have the workforce in the future. And um, I suppose COVID is is the indicator that we'll be looking at next to see if that's changed in the next wave that
2: comes out. Yeah, because that, um, well, Sue, Ovon's done some fantastic work around um, workforce, uh, you know, people leaving the workforce. So this is really interesting in adding to that Um into that research, but I think that um, you're talking there about people having two teachers already in services, and that often relies on the advocacy of leadership within the um, within those settings, who can strongly advocate and show that quality is uh, enhanced by the higher levels of qualifications what does the report tell us about leadership it's one of my favorite topics of course I keep trying to get interested in another topic but I just can't take my mind off this one so what does this report tell us about um, leadership within these services
3: okay so leadership in not-for-profit services is really important it takes a lot of effort for leaders to do the daily things that they need to do it's a lot of hard work one of the One of the big things that leaders in the education services do is is recruitment. Um, And we found again in this study, in the 2019 survey, that educators who were ECTs were still really hard to find. There is a demand for more um, university-qualified ECTs still. Um, But in not-for-profit services, they they're still advocating really highly to have those in the baby's rooms in throughout um, OSH services and in all, in all different sectors, not just in the kindergarten programs, which is really good to hear. The other thing that we found was that um, not-for-profit services, although they did say that the NQF and assessment at reading is hard work to do, it's, it's paperwork, a lot of that is now embedded in their program. So we're finding that the rates are showing that um, leaders are focusing less on one particular area and more generally across the board. So that shows us that they're, they're working on things in their equip that um, that are not just um, they're not just new. Um, the other thing that they're finding is that um, they're reporting that the assessment and rating is giving more accurate results.
2: The, the leaders are reporting that in the sense, in comparison to what?
3: Oh, so in when they were asked about assessment and rating, the, the most beneficial thing that they found out of that was that it, Accurately reflected what they thought was going to be the quality.
2: Right. Of it. Yeah. Right. So they and so they're able to reflect more accurately on the quality within the service and be able to understand that the which is great anecdotally, isn't it? Like it's a really interesting anecdotal um, finding. I, I know it's not anecdotal, but what I'm thinking is that that reflection they're kind of starting to see where where their efforts are are placed are uh, effective.
3: That's
2: right. And
4: Leanne, I think that um, when we're looking at the the strong leadership of this this not-for-profit space, you know, whether it be in the early years or in Osh, um, it's the part where, you know, looking at Quality Area 7, that's one of the areas that is often... um, you know the hardest to get, so thinking about those leaders and how they're supporting a whole team to be working towards that together, so it's that collective approach and I think you know when they've got such critical reflection and and collaboration within the centers that's that's coming from you know the leaders and the leadership team and and thinking about how all of those people involved are are leading that space so I think the not for profit space then becomes or these services that are that are reaching um, exceeding are becoming those services that are employers of choice and that then is you know hopefully pulling in the workforce to go that's the place that I would like to work for you know and and that those those great educators are looking at what's happening in those services and saying actually yeah that's that's sitting in line with my own philosophy and I want to be in a in a culture that's having these
2: you know great um great things for children yeah the Um, I guess you were talking um, about the the investment in professional learning and there's certainly things that attract um, educators to services and the impact of quality area seven on quality area one as well so it's it's really um, you know in this this uh, way that the services are exceeding is having that influence on every quality area as as you mentioned Nikki so it's Kind of almost like a um recruitment strategy isn't it
4: yeah it sure is and i think that um you know when you're looking at um it, the the recruit no I've completely lost that thought that's gone <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. can i ask a question then when you think about the report overall what do you think was the most imp- interesting finding to you but both of you um maybe you can start daniela um, yeah, you know, like what was it that most went? Wow, I didn't expect to see that. Or yes, I'm really glad that this has been
4: confirmed. What was exciting for me in the report was around the educational leadership one. I might be a bit biased. It was something that I really encouraged us to put into the report um, in this in the fifth wave because it, I didn't feel that there was a lot of research around educational leadership and 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 even being aware of who, you know who was getting. Um, actually receiving that educational leadership time, because you know the stories were yes we have an ed leader, but we don 't have um, but they 're not getting the time and and it 's been nice to see that coming to the children 's services award recently um, that hopefully then makes it you know see we can see the impact of that in the future, but having the um the data to say yes when you 're looking at those services that have educational leaders that, that are getting a lot of time and, and, and the implications of what that means for the service. So that was really exciting to me and um, that was probably the one bit that I really wanted to hone in on and make sense of and I thought it was it was exciting and I'm glad that it's what's been um, one of the spotlights that we've looked at in oh, the actual that's report. That's great.
0: And, what, and do you think that there's, you know, that there's ways forward to get that, to ensure that, you know, people are awa- aware of how much... Um, getting that time does affect outcomes,
4: does affect quality. I think there's there's definitely that. I think that educational piece needs to happen, you know, and I suppose it's one of those things. Many services will say, yes, of course, and that's why they have it in not-for-profit space and in high-quality services. And, you know, there'd definitely be the private sector that, that focus on that and do that as well, and it's how we have those lessons from each other. And I think the case studies that are out there and um, the more we all talk about those spaces and using this data to say, well, look, here's where we're showing you that when you have um, a well-qualified person in in, as your educational leader or a team of educational leaders that um that actually get the time that these are the 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 ratings and assessments and and the outcomes that happen for children so um yeah i think i think it is about the education of the sector but i think case studies and the way we can share that with each other um, whether it be not for profit or private is is what we have to do next
0: And what about you, Nikki? What was the bit that you were most excited about?
3: I was excited about it all. The data is really important. But I think that really what spoke to me is the voices of the service directors themselves. Um, I come from the country and I know firsthand the experiences that you have when you live in a rural, in a a remote area. Um, And the things that the directors were saying about their experience of the CCS or the NDIS really spoke to me, so. um, In what way? Oh, I just think that, I think that politicians need to listen to these things, like, um, there was one service who said, our families are fourth generation unemployed and cannot afford paying full fees. The introduction of the new CCS system does not help these families. It's too confusing and difficult for families to access the MyGov website then contact Centrelink and also register with CCMS software. And I know these families firsthand. I know that living on a farm and then having to go into town and access the internet when you've got twenty minutes in the afternoon when you're picking up the kids, it's hard work. But I also sort of thought that these This study really makes those voices really clear. And I think that that's so precious. We all need to listen to each other more. The other thing that I found was was understanding the experience of services in metropolitan areas. So one of them was saying, educators can't generally afford to live in the area, especially once they have a family. So this makes recruiting difficult. At the moment, we're relying on international students, on student visas to fill casual positions. That's so true. on an educated wage, how can you afford to live in Turak, where the rent is one thousand dollars a week, and your wage is like five hundred a week it's, it's the different stories that we can tell each other and that we can that we can speak to and share with our politicians, with our service leaders who are not for profit, who are for profit. These stories are really important.
0: I wonder if there's a way we can capture them from within your data and send it to a seeker in the context to the workforce um, workforce review or workforce plan that they're doing.
3: I think that using this data is a is a there's a wealth of information that I feel like other researchers, if they're curious, they should contact ACCS and us at CCS, and. In, and talk to us about what they'd like to have a look at. We'll be releasing more papers and doing more presentations using this data and making these voices heard loud and clear. I think that that's also a call out for services at the moment. If you've been experiencing things that you want to tell us and you want to tell the government, if you want to tell the nation, participate in this next six wave of the TIC study, it's really important. We want to hear your voice.
2: Good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might jump in and ask a question about, um, and we'll, we'll go back to the participation in the, the, next, um, the, the next survey as well, because this is a, an advocacy issue. And I'm interested in this aspect of um, advocacy that you both see. How can this uh, be used for further investment, um, to advocate for further investment, and also to advocate for... Um, expansion of the not in the not-for-profit space as well. How can you can you both see that this could be useful?
3: I feel <laughs> like okay. <Yes. laughs> I feel like this this research really speaks to the experiences of the not-for-profit services in in calling out for continued funding and continued support with their viability in in areas that are disadvantaged and where viability can sometimes be a bit of a struggle. We do need that support, that fiduciary support in those areas. The other thing that it speaks to is that not-for-profit services do so well in quality and if you are thinking about and planning for children's services in your region or your area, Think about establishing a parent-based committee or think about working with the local government to fund a service. Make it into a hub where communities can talk to their maternal health together with their um, occupational therapist and having having hubs is really important. I think that the not-for-profit sector do early childhood service quality really well. We do connection really well. We support our educators really well. So if you're going to put funding somewhere, this is the way to do it.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I guess it's taking this learning from from these to, again, you know, just going back to the point that this can guide every service, can't it, and the direction that every service can head in. What about you, Daniela? How do you feel about the advocacy space in this report?
4: Yeah, I think, I think you're right, Leanne. It's that, you know, it can guide it, and for services out there that their quality ratings might not be where they want them to be or, you know, their workforce might not be, you know, it as, as they would like to see it in the future it's thinking about how can I how can I go to this report and it does have four areas so you can open it up at quality you can open it up at workforce and and read that section if you want to focus on that and say okay what are these services doing that then we could go we can try and work towards in our service and putting that into your into your quip and your strategy to say you know we're going to work on just this one area and increase that in our service and, and let's see the changes that can come out of that and like Nikki said the the not-for-profit space, often the services have been around for a very long time and they've got a lot of history and they've tried lots of different things and and um, in some situations they're quite um, – they're quite embedded into their community. So, all of those bits happen easy, which gives them a chance to go, right, what are we going to get right next? And so, using the expertise of these services and, you know, there's there's so many of them in so many different places across Australia. As Nikki said, there's lots of regional and rural people that have been involved in this and and looking at that and saying, okay, that's what we're going to work on next for our service to increase the quality there. I also think it's how we we should be using some of this data to be shaping you know the roadmap for the sector so as you said talking to a seeker, or you know obviously at Community childcare we'll draw on this ACTS research to um, shape our roadmap for the future of what we'd like to see in education and care services and and looking at some of those really high quality OSH services and at the moment um, you know OSH is in a really tricky place in Australia because of um, COVID and people working from home. So I think now's the time to go, what is it that we're going to really promote out of um, the OSH space to show what high quality OSH looks like? And it's not just about the families going to work then, it's about what are the children getting out of this space? And I think that that's where our advocacy needs to shift for OSH services so that um, people go, actually, I'd like my child to attend OSH because they're gaining this this out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So shifting the the, the paradigm in OSH I think is really important
2: and I'd like to see that advocacy happen very quickly. Yeah I think you, you're talking about um, shifting that focus to children as opposed to the needs of, of others. Yeah. yeah and I think that's what you know it's, it
4: probably falls really naturally with me because I've been in a not-for-profit community and OSH for so many years but um, it means that we take it for granted I suppose in some ways but yeah, I think that it is. It's putting children back into the heart of, you know, this is why we're here. Whether it's, you know, for OSH or whether it's for, um, you know, long day care or kindergarten, it's it's put the children first. And if we look at that, um, then the rest kind of comes naturally. Well, it
2: kind of makes it easier, doesn't it? Because you you you're not trying to divide that focus in so many different directions. The focus then is specifically on the children. Totally. Danielle, one of the things that I'm getting increasingly worried
0: about because I work at both ends of the spectrum, as I suppose a lot of us do, is the gap between high-quality not-for-profit services and and lower-quality services. So we seem to be stratifying into two kind of camps. I, um, one of the things I recently looked at was how many of services that are rated as working towards have received that rating for at least the last two assessments, and what it sh- what it showed was that 24% of all services, of all for profit services, are rated as working towards. And then separately, that 34% of services that are rated as working towards have been rated that way for at least the last two two assessments. Can we include in any advocacy, um, yeah, those services that, like, like I think we I think we need to ask why are we letting these services continue? Like, if if we're about quality improvement some of these services aren't improving they're just staying the same what can we do about that can
4: yeah it's it's interesting that? isn't it because you know historically before we had the nqs there there was something that was probably that was whether it was actually implemented as well um but there was definitely your letter saying you know you, you're not meeting and um you know how are you going to respond to this and and you had to, you know, write your letter to the government to say, um, you know, we haven't passed and this is what we're doing to, to get better the second time round. And I suppose that's what's dropped off in the new system. And I think there's that little bit of accountability around that where that hopefully the panic comes in of, you know, we're going to lose our funding if that's what they have to think about versus the quality. Um, but there's definitely that trend that, you know, if you if you're working towards for some people, that's good enough. And... Um, But it's hard to argue against that when mm. a
0: CEQA have got it on their own, like, all through the starting blocks website that working towards is a fine and, and, you know, a, a good rating to get, you know? Like, if there's schizophrenia in terms of our largest body and our regulatory authorities about what working towards actually means, then how can we... Yeah, like, and they're not then going to say, you know, why are you
2: being rated working towards twice? Because as far I, as I they're concerned, that's yeah, fine. That's that's true. And I think, as you're saying, Daniela, there's never been really. I mean, although people got their letter, it was there. There were ways to ignore that, and there have never been that many services that have been sanctioned either. So, but there, it's like there is no. There doesn't seem to be any lever to pull unfortunately to say that isn't good enough
0: yeah and and so why are we then putting all this money into the system why are we putting all this money and energy into you know assessment and rating and quality improvement if you can just choose as a service to opt out and get working towards
2: every time yeah like well, you're not going to get any disagreement in this group. I think it's probably the wrong, <laughs> the wrong group to ask. So, yeah. I, I, know I need you to tell retired, me that but, it's going to get I know, better. Maybe, maybe what we need to do is, is have someone on who can tell us that because I, I think it is very you. I agree. And and um, this isn't really a time for, for Lisa and I to to and fro about this, but it's absolutely 100%. Why are we putting so much money into quality if in actual fact we're saying actually it's sort of okay? okay whatever you get congratulations and it is concerning you know I think that you know
4: that there would be people out there that have a working towards service that we would be devastated that they're working towards and I suppose for some of them if they got it a second time they they potentially still could be devastated it's the ones you know I'm concerned about the ones that don't care and and it's probably an active decision to not bother doing anything more because they know that it's not you know if they sort of just sit and cruising along they could stay in that working towards space and it's not going to be an issue for them yeah um, because I suppose is
2: it's how we focus is correct
4: it? they're not there for quality they're there to make money or they're there because um, you know it's just what's always there or there's no competition or they're still you know there's all of those factors that I think come into it and um, it is it's about how we shape that voice um, not only within our sector but in the public eye. You know, if people don't realise, and and that's the same with all of education and care, we know that when it's not in the public eye and and their interest in general, that we know that those, you know, the voice isn't loud enough.
0: Another part of those stats that I found out was that 12% of services that are rated as working towards are rated that way for either six or seven quality areas. So we're not just talking about services that aren't making it in some area, there is some services that children are going to every day that, you yeah, know, have not met the national quality standard
2: in any yeah. area. And, and It's as, really alarming. It is alarming. And as um, Nikki points out too, that this is quite often in the r- rural and remote areas and there are many years of that quality. So every child in a family is accessing a service that is working towards over many years. It's not right.
1: No, well, mm. Nikki and Daniella, if you can solve that problem and you're holding out on us, um, <laughs> you know, that's obviously pretty disappointing. Are we
0: expecting too much from them? <laughs>
1: I felt like it got a little bit, um, a little, I felt like we were maybe getting a bit demanding of Nikki and uh, if we, Daniella to if solve we were that
4: minister it, for, If we were minister for the day, you know, we could potentially be saying, right, well, you can only get it once.
1: So yeah. It seems
4: like seems like yeah. you can click your fingers, doesn't it? But um, you know, obviously yeah. there is a bit more policy behind it than just that. But um, you,
1: you, you know, well, you've I got think way. something has to shift
4: in that space. You know, yeah, and, and I, it's about and I, sorry, no, you're right. I was just saying it. it's about that that common goal from everybody, isn't it? The the louder the voices, the more people that understand it, and 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 the education behind it. Um, you know, particularly when we're looking at those rural regional places, you know, it is. It's it's hard to get your teams out there and it's hard to have the money. And, and if you're not supported by governments in these spaces and, um, you know, there's not enough funding, well, then there's not many options for some of them too. But it is alarming to what that means for our children.
2: That's right. And I think some of what drives this is dealing with the disappointment that people feel when they receive a working towards rating. And also because of some of the integrity of the system as well, which is not... I'm not questioning that, but that has been put into question in the past. And so it's dealing with that disappointment, not wanting to address that, but nothing can be more disappointing than low-quality education and care for a child. Yep,
4: yeah. you're not getting any arguments I
2: know.
4: <laughs> agreement. Yes, it's, I agree. It's, <laughs> it's sad, isn't it? Like, that's, you know, that's what we're all here for and that's sadly the outcomes that some of those children are getting. And like you said they go through their entire time in a children's service with that rating.
0: Mm. Nikki, what would you do if you were a minister for a day?
3: I think that, yeah, definitely instilling that that sense of pride and having really high quality is, is really important. Perhaps there needs to be a reward system for having high quality. I think that um, the stats that we found that show that one in three services who'd had – a second or, or third or fourth rating in the not for profit sector had actually improved. That really just speaks to the fervor within the not for profit sector to improve that goes from working towards and meeting and and exceeding, going improving to excellent. So I would I think that there's always there's, you know, there's always the carrot and the stick. I prefer the carrot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, fair. That, that's a good idea, a carrot and stick. Well,
0: um, I'm a much more stick person. I yeah. reckon stop them from getting CCS immediately and cut off
2: their heads. No, I didn't. <laughs> well, if you leave a carrot long enough, it becomes a stick. Because oh, it's yeah. Sort of, yeah. So maybe maybe start start at one end. This is getting too complicated. To, <laughs> wait for it to become sort of hardened and wood-like, <laughs> and then it's just a stick.
1: <laughs> um now I I think it might be worth um it's interesting I think we're we're we're, we're coming up against the end of the time we want to um you know, thank Daniela and Nikki for joining us. But it's interesting. So obviously, the survey um, is called the Trends in Community Children Survey. Uh, uh, <laughs> trends in Community Children's Services Survey. I'm really struggling with the the brain connecting to my mouth tonight. I apologize to all the listeners. But um, we've talked a lot about this specific report. But obviously, the trends we're seeing are obviously pretty important. Um, I may go back to both of you as well in terms of the. You know the the multiple waves that have happened of the 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 trend survey. Um, are there any particular trends that are that are standing out for you at the moment? I might go to you, Nikki, and then Daniella. But is there anything that you think is worth worth highlighting um, over the multiple waves of the survey?
3: The key thing for me, I think, is that um, it was both in the and our data, but we also saw it in the Secur data that the sector is is Increasingly more competent and meeting the minimum standards, so there is hope. We are um, moving from twenty-three percent of services um, who are meeting down to thirteen percent in the last wave. So this the rate of services in the not-for-profit sector is definitely more competent. In the secret data, which takes into account. Not for profit and for profit, all services across Australia. In two thousand and fourteen, it was thirty eight percent that were that were, you know, meeting the minimum standards, and now it's it's going down to twenty percent. So we're seeing a trend that they're more competent. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting and really hopeful was that the qualifications of educators have increased. So the proportion of educators with no qualifications decreased from 12%. That's one in 10, nearly, of of educators in 2012 who had no qualification, and we're down to 3% in 2019. So I think that the, the trends are showing that the sector is becoming more skilled and we're becoming more competent that's, Lisa, really optimistic. that's
1: good news listen to that
3: yeah well
0: come on that's why the nqf was set up if it hadn't worked I'd yes. be a bit shocked
1: <laughs> you're, you're tough to please Lisa what Danielle, is there anything standing standing up for you in terms of trends
4: um yeah for me it's it's definitely about the quality increasing and and looking at um how the sector is responding to you know the changes in the Nqs, as Lisa said, so you know like looking at um, the qualifications and how many more teachers we have in in the sector these days and um, and that is all flowing through as Nikki said in in the survey and report so um, it's it 's really shaping up to show how we can create these high quality services
1: that 's really great yeah. well mm-hmm. um, we 've obviously spent a lot of time talking about this report, but apparently none of you are getting a break the new the new survey is already is already happening so um i guess probably a couple of questions if people want to read the current report or find out more about it where can they do that and then if they want to contribute to the next wave of data um how can they do so
4: Sure. So the current report is on the ACS website, which is ausccs.org.au, or you can find it on Facebook. Um, And that that current report's there, but also the other um, four waves prior to the one that's just been released. So you can see how those trends have changed over the years. The um, new survey was launched on Monday, so wave six, and we're very excited by this. We we know it's a very challenging time of year, and after a huge year, that it's a bit daunting to put out a report just now. But oh, sorry, a survey. But um, what we would like to really capture is is what COVID has, you know, in twenty twenty. You know, bushfires and everything has really um, had an impact on services this year, and we would really like to capture that. So we'd like to see um, see this data, and and it, although it's ty- timely, you know, not timely. Um, it's it's it is kind of crucial that we're getting this data, and I'm going to urge everybody to spend the time to fill it in. It's not a three-second survey; it does take time. So please make yourself a cup of tea and um, have some input into um, what is has been such a great longitudinal study over so many years. Um, on Monday, the survey was sent to all of the not-for-profit services across Australia. If by chance you can't have it, please feel free to contact us at CCC and I will send it to you. Um, I've got it sitting in my inbox for anyone who does need it. And the other piece is it relies on a snowball effect. So, if you, if you know of a service, send, you know, you can say to them, have you done the tick survey? All of my consultant team are out there asking that question to every service they speak to over the next three weeks because we, we do need to be saying, you know, have you done this, have you shared it, getting it out there so that we can have as many respondents because the data is only as strong and the research is as strong as the amount of people that fill it in.
0: Can I ask a question? Is it um, how do you get, is
4: there a list of all not-for-profit services? How do you know who they are? With the secret data. We can download it and send it out to them all.
0: Oh, you can get
4: that now, can't Mm. you? Yeah, so we we have a wonderful human at CCC that can do that for us.
2: Yeah, brain fade. I thought that was like a Dorothy Dixer that you were doing there, Liz. No, it wasn't.
0: For many many years, you couldn't get that data from... A, a sequel, and yeah. then they started publishing it, and I just—I was putting my old knowledge of the tick survey together yes. with current things, and it just wasn't working. Yeah, <laughs> so, cool no, it's
4: little it magic a thing that CCC's got. No. <laughs> I can sell it to you, Lisa.
1: <laughs> well, I, think... I
0: might even be able to work out how to do that one myself. In fact, I use that data all the time. This is obviously, I think, all of us, it's a getting a bit too close to Christmas. Yeah. Is I this our they... last podcast, guys?
1: Recording in December is a bad idea. Why don't we do it? But um, I think we, we will include the link to uh, to the survey as well and to the website. But, um, you know, for, for listeners out there, obviously advocacy is a huge part of of the show and if you're listening you know you will have you will have heard us banging on about advocacy endlessly uh, contributing to these kind of things is a really great way to to advocate for contributing to the data set for contributing to the stories around early education so if you're listening to this you're part of a not for profit service please 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 contribute to this survey we are really strongly yeah, definitely like it. you
2: can tick tick your box on
1: doing your advocacy action this year because
2: it's been a pretty busy year so this is a great way to just sort of feel good about yourself by the end of the year
4: yeah, I just and want to reiterate, it's all across Australia too, so please make sure that no matter what state you are, it's not just Victoria doing this. I know we're based in Victoria, but AXE is a national um, peak, so it's everybody. We'd love to hear someone from Northern Territory.
0: or um, is AXE going to change its name, given the confusion with
4: AXE? Um, I don't know that that's come up in conversation this year. We've been busy having other conversations
2: um, <laughs> supporting
4: the sector. Um, but I can ask that at the next exec meeting. It is it is rather complicated now that there's two acts in my diary a lot of the time. So. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, Nikki uh, Daniela, thank you so much for a for for being part of you know, preparing this really important report. Uh, you know, possibly more importantly, joining the early education show. to talk about. Can I can I say that? That might that might be going a little too far, but thank you both for joining us. Thank you so much for having us and giving us
4: an opportunity.
1: You have been listening to The Early Education Show. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs, and Liam McNicholas, and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jarzar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.